This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. So you're going to brush your teeth twice a day anyway. You might as well use the best toothbrush on the market. And toothbrush is not the best because of how it looks. It looks great, by the way. It's a sexy toothbrush. It's great to travel with. But it's the best toothbrush because it was literally designed by a dentist, dentist and product designers. And they put a built-in timer in, two-minute timer, because that's how long the dentist recommends you're supposed to brush your teeth. And every quip comes with... New brush heads every three months delivered right to your door. Now they kicked it up a notch. They're even adding in floss with a pre-lined, pre-marked string to help you use just the right amount of floss and toothpaste refills along with the brush head every three months so your routine is always correct. Three million people are using Quip, including me. And starting at $25, you go to getquip.com slash KH right now, and your first refill is free, plus free shipping. Did I mention that? Nope. Getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash KH, and your first refill is free. But I thought it would be cool to talk to somebody that is a culinary genius. Let me welcome to the show. She is the kitchen diva herself, a regular on Dr. Oz and the Today Show, Miss Angela Medeiros. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here. So, so I wanted to have you in first of all because I, you know, Thanksgiving is about food, you know, and you are one of the best chefs, uh, cooks, chefs. How do you how do you classify that? And what's the difference? Well, they say a chef is someone who has been to culinary school and has uh, or has uh, a restaurant. But uh, and some people call me a chef because I have done enough catering to qualify. And then also because I have a culinary history background. But uh, and some people call me a cook. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> they eat your food. That's all that matters, right? Yeah. It's, it's how the dish turns out. I don't, care, I don't care what they call you. If the food's not good, you know, they're going to be calling you something besides a cook and a chef. I and know, you know that's what true. I mean. I know that's mm-hmm. true. Uh, before we get into how you got into this, um, just um, before we get into Thanksgiving, by the way, I want to. I want the audience to know how you got into cooking. Cause I, I was talking with you and you said that you, you sucked at cooking. You weren't a good cook. I really did. And I, I, and, I, I, and now you're world renowned. Like everybody wants to eat your food. So how do you go from, cause there are a lot of folk today messing up people's Thanksgiving, right? A lot, <laughs> lot of people are really, a lot of people jacking, jacking up the Thanksgiving and people, you know, being polite cause it's Thanksgiving, but some right. meals on that table are not so, so wonderful. You were one no. of those offenders. I was. I was highly, highly on the list of offenders. They probably had a picture of me in the post office, you know. But um, the way that what happened to me was uh, I uh, got married at 18. So, you know, you don't know a whole lot anyway. And I, my mom was a fabulous cook and she was a stay at home mom. And so she didn't have any money for me to come in there and burn stuff up and practice. She, she wasn't down with that. So, uh, and I didn't have any interest in it anyway, so that she was, she didn't have to worry about me trying to come in the kitchen and do anything. So um, I went off to college and met my husband and we got married and I didn't know any of the basic things that you need to do to stay alive. Uh, And my husband, uh, he was used to eating well, you know, he's a, he was born and raised in Austin uh, when we, uh, our first home was right next door to his grandmother. So I knew he loved me because he, even though the food was terrible at our house, he, he would always refuse. If she said, do you want some dinner? You know, if he'd stop in to say hello, he'd say, no, Angela's cooking, you know, and he'd go and try to survive. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> and that that went on for a long time. I got a little bit better, but the key to really cooking is having a love and a passion for the people that you're preparing the food for, even if it's just yourself. Um, and that's the real key to to the whole uh, reason why my food tastes so good now. Um, and I didn't know about that whole love and passion thing. It was just a chore that right. I failed at daily. Because you didn't enjoy it. So what, what turned who, it? Who enjoys failing daily? You well, know? I mean, but, yeah. I, I hear you. I've always been able yeah. to cook because I always have liked to eat. And, you know, so so I, I, I would experiment with, you know, uh, with French toast and sugar, oh, you yeah. know, like grilled cheese. And then you add mm-hmm. tomatoes to it. And then, you know, like my mother always let me cook. So I would be in a kitchen experimenting all the time because I like to eat and making cheesecakes and things like that when I was a teenager and peach cobblers. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, you know, you got recipe books, too. So you can go and get, you know, go to the bookstore because I'd love to be there and just keep experimenting. And, you know, 248 pounds later, I'm like, wait a minute, maybe I shouldn't be (laughs) cooking so much. But what was the thing that turned it on for you, um, Angela, to go from a chore to a passion? Well, Two things. One was my mom um, got her first Social Security check, check, and she was in shock because it was so small. She said, I've got to do something to supplement my income. So she decided that she was, she makes this fabulous pie called a raisin pecan pie, which is like a cross between a chest pie and the raisins taste kind of like apples for some reason, the way that she seasons them. And then it has pecans in it, and then it has this fabulous buttery crust that she makes. So, so she invented this recipe by kind of putting together a bunch of different other recipes um and she was going to make that pie because she knew that it would be unique and i was like my you don't want to be baking pies you, look how many pies you'd have to bake in order to even you know make a living so so my sister said well why don't you write a cookbook with her recipes in it and then then that'll be easy you know she can just sell her cookbook so um you know since i didn't cook i thought it would be easy i by then i think i had published maybe 50 children's books so i was you know i I knew how to put a book proposal together and so that's what i did and um i found out quickly that my mother's recipes alone would not be enough to sustain a cookbook um so what i decided to do was a historical look at all the contributions that had been made by um the african captives in every place that they were enslaved, starting wow. in Africa from when they loaded up produce and products that they knew that the Africans ate onto slave ships and different other things that they wanted to grow in different parts of the world. So the slave trade was responsible for quite a few things that we eat and grow and produce now, but they start, they have their roots in Africa. So it moved from Africa to South America, which was one of the largest um, uh, largest buyers of slaves um and that's why so many parts of south america like brazil look like sort of little africa Mm -hmm. sort of um because the population of slaves far exceeded after a period of time the actual population of natural born brazilians and so it moved from there to the caribbean and and all those recipes and how the africans influenced caribbean food and then moved to different parts of america and then it wound up in modern kitchens which were my mother's recipes principally. Wow. So it t- turned into a history lesson through food. It, it was a history lesson through food. So I put the cookbook together and, you know, dusted my hands off and and asked my children's editor who on the cookbook side of Penguin, Dutton Penguin at that time, um, would be a great cookbook editor. She referred me to one of the best 
um, Carol DeSante, mm. and Carol loved the proposal. She said, oh, this is fantastic. There's nothing out there like it. I said, I know. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so she took it into the publisher, and he said, no. And, um, and I'd already spent a gajillion dollars because all those recipes had to be tested. Right. And so, and then my mom and my sister live out of town. So they were coming up and, you know, staying and we were cooking and tearing my kitchen up, to test all these recipes, put this, I already been working on it for maybe a year and a half. So it had to be sold because I had already put a whole lot of money into it. Um, and so he said no, because in 1970 and mind you, this was early 1993, but in 1970, he had tried to publish the Soul Food Cookbook, and it didn't sell well, so he's not doing any more black cookbooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, she, you know, brought back the sad news. And I said, mm-mm, we ain't stopping there, honey. Oh, no, he going to buy this cookbook. Uh-uh. So um, the only thing I could really make at that time was a really good pie crust and um, because my mother loves to make pie pies. And so, uh, and so when I had not really writer's block, but when I just kind of was at a stalemate and couldn't think of anything, I would go make pie crust. It was the, the, the smell of it and the way that you're concentrating on it would kind of unleash this, mm. you know, blockade of ideas. You know, this, it would stop that blockade, of, you know, of me not being creative for some reason. I don't know. So, so I had a whole bunch of pie crust in the, in the refrigerator. So I decided to make a peach cobbler and set it or express it to the publisher with my manuscript, because I was sure that all he did was hear this book is called The African-American Kitchen, and he stopped it right there and never read a word. Um, so uh, my FedEx guy and I were friends because I was always late for my deadlines, and he would hang out, and I would feed him so that he wouldn't leave so I could get my stuff in the mail. And he sent it to a refrigerated warehouse uh, in um, uh, in the FedEx refrigerated warehouse, and then the next morning at 8 o'clock it went to New York, to my publisher, and it was on his desk maybe by 10. So when he opened up the peach cobbler and saw the manuscript, I guess while he was eating peach cobbler, he sat down and finally read it. And then by 2 o'clock, they called me and told me that he was going to sign me on and uh, send me a contract. So that's how I got started. But the bad part of this deal was I still didn't know how to cook. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I didn't know, I didn't know that when you, when you, because I didn't have anything to do with cookbooks, I didn't know that when you they sign you on for a cookbook, you have to do a cookbook tour where you cook on live television. Oh my god! And you cook in bookstores and you cook pretty much anywhere. Little news stations with like a microwave, hot plate, you know, and some plasticware, and you know, so so you have to go on a cookbook tour. My sister Marcia, who is a fantastic cook because she learned, she's 10 years younger than I am, and she learned because my mother went back to work. After I got married, my mother became an interior designer and went back to school, and so she was working. So my sister learned how to cook uh, because my mother, you know, taught her. So she said, well, we'll call ourselves the Kitchen Divas, and we'll go on and I'll help you with all the, the cooking and stuff. And then you can explain the culinary history part and how the cookbook came to be and blah, blah, blah. So it was kind of like a black pen and teller, you know, she never said anything, <laughs> right? She never said anything. And then I did all the talking. I never cooked and she never talked and nobody ever noticed, you that know, nobody so cool. ever noticed. Uh, and so that, that went on quite well for a while until she said, I have stage fright. I cannot do this anymore. It's, you know, I have heart palpitations going before the camera. I can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm, I can't, I can't do it. 
So she quit, and I became the kitchen diva. <laughs> the first cookbook was selling so well, they had signed me up for two more cookbooks. So that's when I had to get down to business and really, really realize that this is something I'm purposed to do. It's Thanksgiving. We're talking with Angela Shelf Madaris. She's the kitchen diva about her journey to becoming the kitchen diva. And there are a lot of people out there who struggle in the kitchen and Thanksgiving mm-hmm. is not the time to display that, as we just mentioned. But where did you go to learn how to actually make the recipes that you you put in? And the first book, was that the ed- ethnic? Uh, what was it? Was that the no. ethnic ve- vegetarian? What was no, the first book? No, the, the first book was the African-American kitchen. That was so they, they kept the title. They kept the title. They, you know, they, they kept the title and, you know, uh, so, so the second two books they signed me up for, one was the Kwanzaa Celebration, and it was a history of Kwanzaa with recipes. The third one was called Ideas for Entertaining from the African American Kitchen. And so what happened between the first book and the third book was I woke up and realized, okay, this is what you're supposed to be doing, you know, um, and, and, um, you know, I had been traveling a lot, but I had come to church during a time when my pastor sermon was, we often ask God what you want from him. Have you ever asked God what he wants from you? And I realized I had never asked God anything except for what I wanted from him. The other part I had never addressed. So when I really started, you know, kind of focusing in on what my purpose might be, not the children's book career was what I call my spike career because they said that a black children's author would never be successful I sold 100 books just out of pure, 100 manuscripts to different publishers, and then 10 to 14 million books out of just pure spite because <laughs> I wanted to prove, it was, I, I call it my spiker. I wanted to prove that they were wrong, that, that, that the children were only interested in a good story, and the children would make the parents buy the book that they wanted. That's awesome. um, if the parents had some problem with my year-round 10, the children would make them, you know, uh, do what they wanted them to do, and I was right. So... So, so yeah, so I finally just realized that this is my purpose, and then it became even more my purpose when my dad, my mom, my husband, and my sister, the other diva, uh, were all diagnosed with diabetes. And so that was scary to me that I might lose my family because of a diet-related illness. It's not like something you couldn't address or correct. This mm-hmm. was something that was specifically tied to your diet. So that's how I, you know, really started – taking help from little old ladies, people who you know, I met on the plane, you know, uh, uh, calling people, re- going to the library, researching. I got down to business on learning how to cook. And I love it now. You know, it's my passion. Well, it has to be. Your children, children's bookery, and I, I just made up a word. I don't know if that's true. It's <laughs> is fabulous. Uh, but these cookbooks, um, I'm looking at them and I'm saying, man, uh, I wish more of us would, you know, especially you started with the healthy, healthy meals. Uh, right. the the um, diabetic cookbook with 150 uh-huh. healthy delicious recipes. What mm-hmm. you know? What kinds of things did you you know modify with these recipes that will help people? Even those folk that may be cooking later on tomorrow, you know, we're still going to be eating. What kind of things did you? Uh, what kind of uh, recipes did you modify in that particular cookbook? Well, I had to find a way where we could keep the flavor. And that's what people really love about African-American cuisine. I don't call it soul food. I think that's a little bit almost uh, insulting in a way because it's so limiting and mm-hmm. it, it only addresses the food of the South, basically, and the food of slavery and the food of, you know, these ingenious uh, people who were enslaved but still managed to take scraps and, and 
find a way to look around and find things that were similar to what they ate in Africa and make this into something delicious. So that doesn't even encompass soul food as a word or as a, a term doesn't even encompass all the genius recipes uh, and things that, that these Africans and African-Americans um, during that time period created. So I call it African-American cuisine. And so I wanted to keep the flavor of our food, but take out the fat, the high salt, the um, um, eating too much meat. Um, all Americans eat too much meat. We eat far more protein than we need. Um, and then, but still make it something that you would look forward to, that you would crave, craveable food. Mm, give me one. For one, you know, of course, everybody loves, absolutely loves, you know, that crispy, crunchy skin on the chicken. There's a technique that you can do, and it's the same thing you can do with your turkey, is you basically just, and this sounds crazy, but if you take the turkey and just pat it dry and then just put a, uh, like a tablespoon, I think, of salt per um, so so per quarter of, of the turkey, if you put like a tablespoon of salt per quarter, it sounds like a, a tremendous amount of salt. But you, you heavily salt it on the outside and then rub it underneath uh, in the cavity. And then you let it sit out uh, it, uh, uncovered in your refrigerator. Um, I have the luxury of having, a, you know, two refrigerators. But if you don't, then you can put it in a cooler, um, you know, in a big ice chest, put it in a cooler uh, with some ice packs and then let the skin dry out. Um, and then when you bake that uh, turkey, the salt by osmosis, which is the only scientific principle I know, <laughs> the, salt, the salt drags uh, all the, the moisture down into the meat, and then, um, and then it dries out the skin. And so when you bake it that for your Thanksgiving dinner, um, the skin is all crunchy and crackly and delicious, um, and the meat is totally flavored, which for most people, they're used to having bland turkey. But this process of just putting that salt on there and letting it what they call dry brine um, makes it really flavorful and delicious. And that's how I do my turkey. I also don't, I also people buy too big of a turkey. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. With the holidays just around the corner, now is the perfect time to order holiday cards for family and friends. And this year, Create custom holiday cards quickly, easily, and affordably at simplytoimpress.com. Simplytoimpress.com is your holiday photo card headquarters with thousands of unique designs to choose from. All you have to do is upload your family photos, or you can even get them from Instagram, personalize the text, and you're done. It's that easy. Simplytoimpress.com. Print your cards professionally on your choice of premium cardstock in just a few days and then rushes them straight to your door. The New York Times wire cutter named Simply to Impress their favorite holiday card service. Simply to Impress even offers foil cards and hundreds of great holiday card designs just for your business as well. So place your order today to save 30% and get free shipping. Just enter promo code DEAL at checkout. Save big on holiday photo cards today using promo code DEAL at simplytoimpress.com. That's simplytoimpress.com. They buy a turkey where you have to put on a weightlifting belt in order to lift that sucker out of the oven. If your turkey is too heavy for you to, to handle by yourself, it is too big. If you're having a bunch of people over, it is better for your sanity to do a bunch of small turkeys do a bunch of small turkeys, and, and this is, I have what I call a tada bird, 
So so I'm having 20 people over for, for Thanksgiving. I have my Tada bird. I cook that Tada bird maybe, might cook that two or three days ahead of Thanksgiving. It's beautiful. It's brown. It's It's gorgeous. I spray a little oil on it. I rub a little butter on it. I heat it up a little bit, and then I surround it with beautiful things. And when it's time for dinner, my Tadal bird comes out, and everybody moves and ahs, and then that bird goes back in the kitchen. Then I bring out the real stuff, which are just turkey parts. <laughs> turkey parts. Brilliant. <laughs> yes, turkey parts. Because everybody's so, ready to eat. So you go, you go, to... you go, ta-da. You know, I go, ta-da. And, and then you bring the turkey in, and now you have the real the real meat. I have oh, the real stuff. That is brilliant. Yes, because because you know your uncle, your cousin, and three or four three or four nieces and nephews all gonna want the drumstick. That bird doesn't have that many drumsticks on right, it. Right, right. So, so if you just do a part for every, and by then you should know what people eat. I know my my daughter and my son in law. They only eat white meat. The rest of the family they all want dark meat. My mother only wants the wings. Okay, it's not enough to go around for all these people. So I buy parts for everybody. I cook the parts that day. It's easy. You don't have to worry about it. You're just doing it on a sheet pan. Yeah. And so, and so, and then you don't have to wait for the turkey to be carved and all that kind of stuff. So while everybody's saying what they're thankful for, I, I, you know, I bring the chalabur out. We say grace. Everybody says what they're thankful for. I, I plate everything up. I bring the parts out. Put, do a buffet style. That's the only way to survive during Thanksgiving is buffet style. So I do a buffet style, and no matter how big or little your kitchen is, I've had a kitchen of size. My kitchen now is the size of a postage stamp because when we moved here, I didn't even check to see if it had an oven. I didn't care. I wouldn't cook it. I didn't care. So, so, so it, it is. It is tiny, but but I still set up a little space on my counter. Everybody walks through, fixes what they want to, goes and finds a place to sit down because my house is. We built it for retirement, and so we we weren't expecting any of this cooking stuff. Um, and so, uh, and nobody cares, and the food is good, and nobody's stressed out, and everybody can eat on time, and it's that's the way that to is go. A, that is amazing. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, if moving forward, because next year, you know, it may be too late for people today. It's Thanksgiving. Next year, people plan. That's a great, great tip. Which book do you suggest people get? to get to get ready for Thanksgiving for next year of yours? I'd say I, uh, Ideas for Entertaining is out of print, but you can still get it on Amazon, and you'll get it for much, le- much less than you would have if it was still in print. I would get Ideas for Entertaining, and then I'd also get uh, the new African-American, the new African-American Kitchen, because um, there's a revised version of the first book that I did. So the new African-American Kitchen from Lake Isle Press is still available, and you can get that on Amazon or Anywhere Barnes and Noble, anywhere you buy books, you can get that one. But but for today, I have what I call what to do when the turkey's not done. So I have a few tips for people who have messed up their dinner already, and this is some ways you can salvage it if you're interested in that. Love it. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So if your turkey is not done, so you try to roast that whole John Norman's turkey, it's not done. What you need to do is uh, go ahead and cut it apart cut the parts off as much as you can so you can cut off the 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 legs and the and the wings and then just leave maybe the breast part Um, and then you're going to put that on the sheet pan and if you have a turkey with one of those pop-up timer timers that is the worst indication of doneness because that means that the breast is going to be dry and the legs are going to be over the legs are going to be overcooked and the breast is going to be dry so don't go by those pop-up timers in the turkey. 
basically what you need to do is you cover the breast and the wing portion with foil and set it aside. You put the, if the drumsticks and the thighs aren't, aren't done, you put those in the oven. The, the dry part of the turkey, you can pour some uh, turkey broth or um, the juices that are in the bottom of the pan. You can pour that over them. Something, even water, in a case of emergency, will work. Something to add moisture back to the turkey. Maybe put some butter uh, in some water and put that with the turkey. But um, that'll that'll reconstitute the dry. That'll bring your your turkey breast and your turkey wings back to life if you. Just put some broth or some water on them. Um, if your stuffing is too wet, put it on a sheet pan, put it back in the oven, and let it it'll dry out. If it's too dry, put you know pan drippings, butter and water, um, turkey broth, you know packaged or canned turkey broth that'll bring it back to life. If your mashed if your mashed potatoes are too soupy, you can add you can get some uh, bread ends, crumble them up, um, and they need to be in crumbs. Um, and then mix those into your mashed potatoes. That'll absorb all that excess li- liquid, and that'll make them, you know, taste great again. Or if you have instant mashed potatoes, you can add more. If you started with instant mashed potatoes to begin with and they're too stiff, add some more butter and milk. Um, if you burned everything. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> if something is burned. Just, just if the turkey skin is burned, just take the turkey skin off. Go ahead and, and slice up the breast meat and slice up as much as you can of the meat. Cover it with some broth and you know butter and and um, uh, and just put it out on a platter and just don't you know don't, don't worry about nothing. it. <laughs> don't say nothing. Don't don't apologize. Never apologize. Don't I apologize. That. I love that yeah. advice. Don't apologize. We- yeah. And if you burn the rolls, cut off the bottom of the burnt, cut the burnt part off of the rolls and just put them in the basket and keep it moving. That is some great advice, Angela. We appreciate Mm -hmm. you. Uh, This is just the beginning of our relationship. I want you to come back for Kwanzaa. We definitely want to go through these recipes from Africa. I want to go around the world with you. You did a lot of work with the history. uh, And I want us to know where our food comes from. Next time we come back, let's talk about that, okay? Let's do that. I had a great time. Me too.